book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my eight-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter series of books. Hi, Lily. Hi. We are starting on the final book in the Harry Potter series. What's it called? The Deathly Hallows. The Deathly Hallows. You have read, I don't know how far we're going to get in this podcast. You've read to chapter eight. I don't believe, do you have any idea what the Deathly Hallows are at this point? No. In the movie, the Deathly Hallows are mentioned by now, but perhaps they are not mentioned yet? No. Okay, we'll see. There might be, there's a, there's a scene I'm thinking of. Anyway, where have we left Harry at this point? What's the last thing that happened in the previous book, in book six? I don't remember. Well, who's dead? Uh, Dumbledore. Dumbledore's dead. And what does Harry decide to do after Dumbledore's funeral? He decides to not go to Hogwarts anymore and just search for Horcruxes. He's going to hunt Horcruxes. And who's going to come with him? Harry and, uh, I mean, Hermione and Ron. Exactly. All right, so chapter one of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows is called The Dark Lord Ascending. Do you know what ascending means? No. It means rising. In what way might the Dark Lord be rising now? Rising in power. Yeah, exactly. In chapter one, uh, we start off with Snape and another Death Eater arriving at what location? Now, this part I never really understood. Okay, well, they're at someone's house. Do you remember whose house they're at? Snape's? No, they arrive at Malfoy Manor. Oh. So there's, right off the bat, uh, it's interesting that Lucius has broken out of Azkaban, and Snape is using Lucius's house as his base of operations. Um, that means Lucius is hiding out in his own house. <laughs> we we may find out later why the ministry hasn't found him there or possibly why they haven't even looked for him there but I don't think I know that yet. Yeah, you might find out, but it's interesting to me that of all the places in the world he could hide he's there. It also may not be his choice. Uh Snape arrives with this other death eater Yaxley and there's a meeting going on at Malfoy Manor. Voldemort is sort of holding court with his Death Eaters. Uh, they're discussing plans that the Order has. Do you remember what those plans are? Is this the one where they escape Harry? Yes, it's the plan to not move. It's the plan to move Harry Okay. from one location to another. Which is going to be hard with Death Eaters looking everywhere. Do you know why the Death Eaters even know about this? For some reason, I remember it was because Dung told them. That is why in the movie, it's probably oh. why in the book too, and you haven't seen the movie. So if you know that, that's probably why. But we don't know that as of this point in reading. All we know is that the Voldemort crew uh, <laughs> seems to know that there is a plan to move Harry. Why is it a big deal that Harry is being moved? Why can't Harry go where he wants to? Why can't he just get on a subway and leave or get on a broom and fly away? 
because uh because he is turning 17 that means that he's no longer safe why is he no longer safe because the magic from his mom only lasts until he's 17 yeah when you're 17 when you're a wizard you're an adult and so something about the protect protection the magical protection of his mother's sacrifice implies that it's only for when he's a child it seems to it seems to mean this spell seems to mean that as long as harry is at the dursley's home they say it's that it means he's safe it seems to mean that it they can't that the dark lord and his forces can't find harry there there's no magic they could do to locate harry oh. and possibly it, it sort of also implies it's kind of like a vampire situation where mm-hmm. perhaps they could never enter that house, even if they knew it was there. Or it might be like an uh, unbreakable bond or a secret keeper spell where as long as this spell is in place, nothing could happen. Until you're 17. Well, nothing could happen that would allow them either to know where the house is, get into it, hurt Harry while he's there, or all all three perhaps. I don't think it's ever real specific, but bottom line is, in moments, he'll be 17, he'll be an adult, and the spell will likely vanish. At least that seems to be what everyone thinks. Yeah. So they've got to get him to safer ground. Do you where do you know where they're trying to take him? To the Weasleys? I don't think so. It is in the movies. I think in the books, it's to the Tonks' residence, and I'm not sure why he would be safer there. I think that... I think he goes to Tonks's and then goes to the Weasleys, actually. Right, but I'm saying this initial move is okay. to get him to the... I don't, I don't know why he'd be safe at the Weasleys, honestly. They're, they're known co-conspirators of Harry. So, anywho, this meeting is going on in Malfoy Manor. Voldemort comments to his Death Eaters, he, he, sort of something about being... Like, why are you so uneasy, Malfoy? Do you not like me being in your house? You know, something like that. There's also something we should mention about that what is it? meeting. Uh, there's a guy hanging upside down in, like, the middle of the table. Yeah, not a guy, though. Oh. It's a lady. Oh. And we'll get to her in just a second. Yes, while they're, while they're talking, they're sort of ignoring the fact that there is a person floating above the table, obviously against their will. But Voldemort comments on Malfoy, like, why do you... He's like, oh, Malfoy, you seem like you don't want me here. (laughs) Anyway, why do you think he's sort of making fun of Lucius in this way? Do you think Lucius enjoys having the Dark Lord use his home as his base of operations? Not really. Why? He's a faithful servant of the Dark Lord. Still, they're only servants because they're scared of being killed by him exactly this would be like if you if a guy came to your house and said hey i'm moving in as long as you do everything i say i'm not gonna kill you if you don't do everything i say i'm definitely gonna kill you anyway you want to watch a movie like you're not gonna want to have fun with this guy you're not gonna want to have conversations you're gonna be uneasy all the time right yeah like having a really bad roommate or something well a bad roommate that wants to kill you or easily could and is demonstrably uh ready to do so you know uh voldemort will on a whim murder 
as he'll show here in just a second. So it's safe to say that Malfoy is as much Voldemort's prisoner as anything, as his servant, and would probably be pretty relieved if Voldemort was killed, right? <laughs> yeah. He would be pleased if Voldemort won and gave Malfoy a bunch of power. He would probably also be relieved if Voldemort was killed and he could just <laughs> return to his shallow, pathetic life. <laughs> I'm sure at this point he is also worried for his family, which even though he is spineless and evil, probably still cares about his family. Uh, so anyway, there's this lady floating over the table, writhing in pain. Do you remember who she is? No, I don't remember her name. This is, I want to say, Burbage. Is it Charity? Charity Burbage. Charity, right. Uh, she's actually a teacher at Hogwarts, isn't she? Correct. She, Voldemort sort of continuing this meeting, he take he demands Malfoy's wand. I can't remember for what reason. Me either. But he also starts giving Bellatrix some grief about her family. Do you remember what he's talking about there? Wait, who gives what? Voldemort is sort of goading Bellatrix about her family. He's referencing uh, the fact that Tonks has now married a werewolf, who is our... Lupin. Lupin. And she promises. Do you remember what she says she's going to do? What Bellatrix promises she'll do her best to kill Tonks. Oh. I believe there is some sort of problem for Voldemort or for their kind that a wizard, either any wizard would marry a werewolf or perhaps an order member would marry a werewolf because they like werewolves? It's hard to say. I don't remember the exact reason. It, it's probably spelled out better in the in the text of the books, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, the meeting is disrupted when there is a wailing coming from beneath the floor and Voldemort sends Wormtail to go check it out. What do you think's under the floor? Either they don't say who, what it is, do they? I don't believe so, but I don't remember. I I believe uh, this is just what I'm thinking. I think that it might be either somebody's getting tortured, or there's like a screaming animal under there or something. I think number one is probably correct. They've likely got some sort of dungeon beneath Malfoy Manor, <laughs> and who knows what sort of prisoners they've amassed over the last however many months they've been there. Voldemort sort of takes his attention off the Death Eaters and starts uh, putting it towards the woman hanging above the table, Charity Burbage. She recognizes Snape when he arrives. What does she say to Snape? Does she say something about him used to be in her class or something? She says, we're friends. We're co-workers. We know each other. Snape, you know me. Don't uh, As in, save me. Don't let this happen. Like, uh, we work together. Seriously, dude. What happens to Charity Burbage in spite of her cries for help? Don't they just kill her right there? Voldemort kills her right there and feeds her to Nagini. So Which all is these the snake. Yeah, so all these people just watch this woman get murdered and eaten by a snake. If she was Snape's friend, there's nothing you can do about it now. What how do you think he feels? Do you think he doesn't care cuz he was always tricking them or do you think if she was his friend that he had a hard time watching her get eaten by a snake. If she really was his, like, work friend, then he would probably still be shocked. 
but he doesn't want to let Voldemort or any of the other de- Death Eaters. I'd see say it. so. I'd say he has to at least pretend like he doesn't care, if not pretend like he's enjoying it. Chapter two in memoriam. Oh, I should also mention when Snape does arrive, he calls Voldemort calls Snape to sit at his right hand. What do you think that means for Snape? He's like his his right hand man. Yeah, he's his favorite Death Eater now, which previously that was Lucius. So I think it's safe to say that the fact that they're in Lucius's house, probably against his will, and that Snape is now his right hand man, that Lucius has been severely demoted in the in the ranks of the Death Eaters. I guess that Snape is his favorite now because he was the one who killed Dumbledore. Fair to say. Fair to say that he's the one that has accomplished the most in Voldemort's eyes towards his goal. Uh, I, I, I would say that's that's pretty safe. Chapter two, in memoriam. Memoriam means like in memory, right? More so in memory of the dead, but yes. Uh, Harry is in his bedroom and he's cleaning out his school trunk. He injures his hand. What does he cut his hand on? The glass from the mirror that Sirius gave him. Yeah, Sirius gave him this mirror and said, you'll be able to contact me. Why? And we talked about this in that podcast. Why did they not use the mirror? Because Harry never opened it. Yeah, what a dummy. That's right. It was supposed to be a bittersweet moment of like, now that I'm dead and the only thing in the world you had to know was if I was alive or in trouble and you definitely couldn't contact me, here's a thing that could have contacted me. <laughs> that that was supposed to be a sort of a depressing button on the end of that story, that it was all for nothing. They also don't do that in the movie, I think, because of that. <laughs> I think they also try and stay away from the idea that like these kids could just have cell phones. So yeah, it's... <laughs> It's, yeah, that part to me is weak in the story. The idea that he's like, oh, I got this gift and I just never thought to open it. That's, even Harry, as busy as you are, I don't know, you get a present, you see what it is. Especially if it's from one of your favorite people in the world. Come on. So anywho, he's still got the mirror, it cuts his hand. What does he think he sees in this mirror? A flash of blue light. Which reminds him of what? I don't remember. It reminds him of Dumbledore's eyes. Oh. He thinks he sees Dumbledore's piercing blue eyes in the mirror, but decides that that can't be true. I must just miss him so badly that I'm imagining things. I have a thought on that. I was thinking maybe, now this is just a maybe, but Dumbledore might have decided to become a ghost and he sees the ghost's eyes. Well... Where is the ghost trapped in the mirror, or is it on the other side of the mirror, or what? On the other side, maybe. Maybe so. Doesn't seem like Dumbledore would want to be a ghost. Well, I've just said that's a maybe. Sure. Uh, Harry is packing his things. Do you remember how he divides things from his trunk? He puts them in piles of... I need this for my adventure, and this I don't need. And most of the things he doesn't need are like the things that would involve him going back to Hogwarts. So this is an important moment for him in that he is separating his pre- and post-Hogwarts life, or his during- and post-Hogwarts life, where I, I probably won't need my potions book 
and my uh, Quidditch book in my pens and quills. And yeah, stuff. Th- those are not things that are going to keep me alive. Now, potions might help. I don't know if he took his potions book or not. Certainly not the dark arts book he had last because that would have been Dolores Umbridge's dark arts book. Well, yeah. That's he, for like beginner beginners. I don't believe he still has the Half-Blood Prince's potions book. No, I don't think he does. I think he gave that back to Dumbledore maybe or I don't mm. No, Dumbledore would have been dead before the year was over. I'm not sure what happened to that book. Me either. I'm sure somebody listening knows exactly what happened to it and is screaming <laughs> at the top of their lungs. But uh and if you know whatever. <laughs> Well, if you want to say something, you're welcome to comment on this episode, and that'll certainly answer that question. Now, he's divided his things into help me help me find Horcruxes and basically my old life at Hogwarts. Packs him into a rucksack, and then he's ready to set out on his own. He finds a Daily Prophet, and there's an interesting article in it. What's it about? It's about Dumbledore's early life, isn't it? Yeah, it's written. It's a. It's a. What's called an obituary. It's where you talk about a dead person, the things they accomplished, what their life was like, who survived them in their family. It's written by Alphias Doge and or Dodge. Yeah, who knows? Um, and it tells the story of young Dumbledore at school that he had a bad relationship with his brother Aberforth. That his both of his parents died. They all have awesome names. And that he had to return home to take care of his sister, Ariana. How does this make Harry feel, hearing all these people's names for the first time? He realizes for the first time that he knows, it, he knows about what Dumbledore was like as his headmaster and what he was like then. But he, he realizes he never learned anything about his life. It was always about him. You you just said a bunch of him, so who are you talking about? Use uh, the names of the people you're talking about. Okay, let me do that again. So He realizes that he didn't know Harry Dumbledore. Reali- Harry realizes that he knows what Dumbledore was like as his as Harry's headmaster, but Harry realizes that he never really knows he never really knew what Dumbledore's early life was like it was always about Harry's life and in truth he really never knew Dumbledore as a person he knew him in the context of Hogwarts but he never knew him as a true individual uh the things that made him who he was this is this goes back to something I've been saying since the beginning of this podcast that Harry is not particularly curious. It is, I think, one of his greatest flaws it, that he takes the information that he's given and doesn't ask too many questions. He lives in the moment. He focuses on surviving right now versus making long-term plans. Obviously, these are things that will come in handy for his lifestyle, but don't necessarily lead to him being uh, that informed, I guess. At least at one point with Dumbledore, he might have said, man, you are a fascinating character. (laughs) What was your life like? Did you go to Hogwarts? Where did you go to school? You know, what, how did you become who you are, right? Yeah. And you also have to think about Harry and Dumbledore's relationship in terms of what they've had to accomplish 
over the past uh, you know couple of years. I mean, just a couple of years ago, Dumbledore wouldn't even look at Harry. Wait, seriously? The, the the whole book where he doesn't talk to Harry at all. Oh, right. Because, because of, he was afraid Dumbledore would spy on him. Right. And then before that, Harry liked Dumbledore, but they weren't exactly spending a lot of one-on-one time together. Like, especially in the first and second books. I mean, they say a few lines to each other, but that's it. Yeah, they, they had no one-on-one relationship. They would basically talk once, and then at the end of the book, talk about whoever died. <laughs> I'm glad you're still alive, Harry. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> But that was pretty much it. Only only did they have a personal relationship when they started hunting Horcruxes. So perhaps Harry just felt there's no time while we're fighting off all these Inferi and, uh, you know, feeding you uh, magical poison so you want to kill yourself to get Horcruxes to say, hey, by the way, eh, you got any siblings or your parents like? You know, do you, you ever have any jobs I don't know about? Like, where where do you actually go to school? Yeah, so it's possible that he never, that he had the opportunity to ask and never did. It's also possible that he really never had the chance. There wasn't imminent danger that they could just have a buddy conversation. Like, but Like, there was never really a good time to talk about that. But Harry feels weird that he doesn't know Dumbledore. Now that he realizes he didn't even know he had a brother, he didn't know he had a sister, he didn't know any of this stuff about him. He also reads another article by somebody we've read articles by before. Who is this article from? Rita. Rita Skeeter, that's right. And what does it say about Dumbledore? I don't remember. It says she's going to publish sort of an expose about all the dark, dirty secrets of Dumbledore's life. It's actually a book that she's writing. Oh. Either either that or is it going to be... Or she says it's going to be a book series. I don't remember which. Either way, she thinks she's got all the dirt on Dumbledore and she's going to reveal it to the world. And she also says, uh, especially because I have such a close relationship with Harry Potter that I got all this information, implying that perhaps Harry gave her bad information about Dumbledore and negative things about him. Is any of that true? No. Of course not. Like Now, not only are you... Spilling out all the secrets about Dumbledore, but you're saying that Harry did it to him, basically. Yeah, and part of it, at least. And it's infuriating to Harry that she would imply that he was somehow complicit in her defaming Dumbledore. He would probably scream that right now if the Dursleys weren't like asleep or something. I think they're asleep, aren't they? Harry's thinking about, when he's thinking about Rita Skeeter, this is when he thinks he sees the blue eyes in the mirror. Uh, so that's actually when this happens that we talked about earlier. Chapter three is called the Dursleys departing. So I think this is the chapter where they like take Harry off to move him to Tonks's, right? Well, this is the part where we, where we say goodbye to the Dursleys. This is a very short chapter. Uh, Harry is sitting in his bedroom talking to Hedwig and, thinking about having to leave the Dursleys for good at this point. The doorbell rings and Daedalus Diggle and Hestia Jones are there. These are two, I guess, more senior members of the order. They, I don't think they play a huge part in that book, but they're, they're here now, right? Mm -hmm. For some reason or another, I can't remember why Vernon is demanding that like Kingsley Shacklebolt be the one to, guard them or to usher them to their new safe location 
Instead, they've got Daedalus Diggle. Maybe it's because Vernon knows that Kingsley is the best. Do you remember what Harry says Kingsley is doing instead? He is, he is like the new minister, I think. No, he's protecting the Muggle Prime Minister. Oh, they, which means the Wizarding World has sent Aurors now to protect important Muggles because they are assuming, and probably rightfully so, that Voldemort is not only going to take over the wizard world, but he is going to try and take over the world. Because the wizarding world, that's just a small part of the world. Yeah, I feel like it's never addressed directly, but that it's like less than 5% of the people in the world are wizards. Maybe 1%, maybe less. I guess. Because Hogwarts is the only wizarding school in the UK. Oh, really? And we now know, because just a few months ago, or just a few weeks ago, I think, uh, in anticipation of the release of um, Fantastical Beasts or Bandical Beasts, what's it called? Uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yeah. In, in, in anticipation of that movie, there was sort of a Harry Potter day where they released a map of all the wizarding schools in the world. There's only one in the U.S. So There's one in the U.S.? Yeah, that's where this movie takes place. Oh. So with only one proper wizarding school in the whole country with 650 million people in it. Of course, he lived in the 1880s, is that right? Or the 1920s? I have no idea. So there were less people, but still ton of people. And they've got one school that can accommodate maybe a thousand students, maybe less, I don't know. Oh wait, are you saying what when Harry lived in? No, when the Newt's commander lived. When oh. His, anyway, Anyway. Actually, that uh, the movie is coming out in November. No, but Newt Scamander lives before we do. He lives in like the late 1800s or oh, the early 1900s, yeah. if I remember correctly. So anyway, the point is, if it's like a thousand people out of, you know, 500 million, there's not that many wizards, yet they still act like they kind of run the show, right? Yeah. Now, it may be that there are way fewer wizards in America because America is so new and the wizarding world is so old. They may all still be in Europe because there were people in Europe for thousands and thousands of years Hmm. before they, before Europeans at least ever came to America. So it's possible that they, they center, you know, there, but still there's not that many. UK is pretty big. Ireland, Scotland, Britain, all those places only has one wizarding wizarding school, and they have got maybe what like two hundred kids or something. Mm. So we're getting off track, but the point is they are going out to protect important Muggles. Obviously, Kingsley is protecting the Prime Minister, but then who shows up? I don't remember. Kingsley. Kingsley shows up, <laughs> and he basically tells Harry, uh, "I'm taking a day off from protecting the Muggle Prime Minister because." you're more important than him. That says something, right? Yeah. How do you think that makes Harry feel? That probably makes him feel maybe half pride, half maybe guilt or something. Maybe. I think it might just confuse him. Maybe he (laughs) thinks they're just wrong. 
Like, there's no way I'm that important. Harry's from the Muggle world. Harry knows the importance that the Muggle government places on the prime minister. That would be like us saying, I was guarding the president of the United States, but today I'm going to guard Harry Potter. So it shows that all of the orders and the order, their priority is Harry above all else. I mean, I personally would rather guard Harry Potter because he's like coolest person in the world, but. But it's not because he's cool that they're doing this. And we'll find out very shortly why they're doing this. You may have forgotten, but there's a reason that they're placing Harry's well-being above all else, even though it's, they're extending it to the Dursleys, you know, uh, Harry has an exchange with Dudley. How does that go? Do you remember? Uh, one of the Dursley grownups says that Harry is a waste of space. Harry's about to go, but Dudley says, I don't think you're a waste of space. Uh, and then Harry's like, uh, thanks, Dudley? Yeah, and it sh- he shakes his hand. Uh, Dudley shakes Harry's hand, and he says something like, you know, did the, uh, what are those guys called? The um, Dementors. Did the Dementors, you know, blow a new personality into you, Dudley? Uh, I think it's safe to say that after his Dementor attack and knowing good and well that he would be dead without Harry's intervention, how do you think Dudley has changed in his feelings about Harry? He's like, you, you saved my life. Now you're not all that horrible. I think it's not that he thinks Harry's not all that horrible. I think he's finally starting to realize he was horrible. He's finally starting to realize that Harry was never horrible and that he was a bully and a villain in Harry's life. You and act- it's time he grows up. You actually said in book five that now that his soul was being... Uh, then when his soul was being sucked out, he could see that what a hateful and shallow life he had had. Yeah. And he realized that he was not a good person. Yeah. I think that's still occurring to him. And now that he sees how important Harry is, that his family has to be spirited away and, and hidden. We don't know where they're going, by the way. No, we don't. Do you have any ideas where they might have gone? It's uh, never revealed, so it, you can say anything you want. I'm I'm thinking probably somewhere like halfway across the world. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, where would they be safe? And obviously they had to leave their jobs and everything about their lives. They probably have to have different names. <laughs> At least until maybe there's a day that Voldemort is taken care of. Then they can come back and live their lives. But uh, chapter four, the seven potters. Actually, yes. before... Before they go, Mrs. Dursley is like, oh, my daddy boy, he's being so kind. You know, she's insufferable, and she's probably looking at it from a perspective of he's being so kind to horrible Harry Potter. Yeah. He's saying nice things about this wretched person, so. One of the people that is coming to get them, I don't remember who says it, but one of the says... Well, aren't you going to say goodbye? And Harry's like, no, I think we'll be okay. 
probably not knowing the full story, not knowing how terrible they are to him. There is a moment where, if I remember correctly, somebody mentions you have to be taken away because Dumbledore might, Voldemort might use you as leverage against Harry and and kidnap you and threaten to kill you. And then Harry would have to come save you. And both Harry and Vernon have to think about for a second, would I actually, like, would he actually do that? And Harry thinks, would I actually do that? Would I drop everything to save the Dursleys? Would I endanger my life and the world to save the Dursleys? You know? What do you think Harry would do? Being the kind of caring person he is, he probably wouldn't want to, but he would. I think he would be conflicted, and it would depend on the risk. Harry has never left anyone behind before. But this is the Dursleys we're talking about. I, it almost makes me wonder if he would be more likely to save a stranger than he would to save them. Yeah. Because they've been so actively and aggressively cruel to him his entire life. At one point when he's there, he shows Hedwig where he used to sleep. And he's like, I can't believe it's so small. He's, and he tells Hedwig, you never knew me. When I, when I slept here. Yeah. Also, uh, one of the people that's coming to get them says, well, that's all you're going to say? And Harry's like, well, coming from Dudley, that's like, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a departure from his normal attitude. Where were we? Chapter four, the seven potters. To what does the seven potters refer? And we'll get into it in just a second. But what does that mean? Uh, It means that since we're going to just now, since we're going to learn about this like a second later, I'm just going to tell you. Okay, just go ahead and explain it. So the seven potters are Harry and then six other grown up order members turning into Harry with polyjuice potions. Including all of his friends as well. Not all of his friends, but yeah. Well, all of his important friends that are in on this mission. Yeah. Namely, Hermione, Ron, Fred, Fred and George, George, Lupin, those people. They all go to, this is where they go to Tonks' house, I believe. Ted Tonks' house. Yeah. And all those people are waiting there. Harry arrives. Harry is the one that does not know the plan. Everyone else knows the plan. But because they now know that Harry has a connection to Voldemort, Harry can't ever know the plans of his own safety. Also, we should mention that now including Hermione and Ron, they are, every single one of the Order members is now a grown-up. So that means that Hermione and Ron are technically Order members. I don't know if that is ever explicitly stated. It might be. It might just be that they're along for the ride. And it might just be that everyone says everyone that's here today is obviously a member of the order. But, yeah, I don't know if they have any official roster that they have to write people's names on. But it, it, I feel like Harry is never inducted into the order. I'm not sure how that works. Maybe when, maybe when you become a grown-up, you are. Maybe not. If anyone knows, feel free to comment and let me know. So, yeah, they're all going to take Polyjuice Potion to look exactly like Harry. They're going to put on closing glasses that look like Harry. They're going to carry a backpack that looks like Harry's, and they're going to have a fake owl in a cage that looks like Hedwig, right? Yeah, it's like a stuffed owl. But Harry's got the real Hedwig. Yeah. 
they're going to set off on brooms and Hagrid's magic motorcycle, and they're going to fly at different times in different directions, all in the hope to get Harry where he needs to be to be safe, which I believe you're right is now the, the burrow. What does that mean for everyone else? That basically means they're risking their own lives for Harry again. It's not only that they are risking their lives, they are specifically putting Harry's life before theirs. They're all agreeing it's better for one of us to die than for Harry to die. I don't know if all the kids or the previous kids, the youngest ones, are fully, fully aware of that, or if they are just so used to being in danger with Harry that they don't have to think about it. But their agreement states, if every single one of us dies, it's fine as long as Harry gets where he's going. I guess. And I think it's not, it's not because of how much they love Harry, even though they do. It's because of how bad it would be for the world if Harry was gone and could not face Voldemort and eventually kill Voldemort. It's like Harry's the weapon, right? Mm-hmm. He's the only thing that will ever stop Voldemort. And so they're all not just willing to die, kind of likely to die. They're setting themselves up to be human shields to confuse the Death Eaters and to confuse Voldemort just hoping that if they start shooting, they pick the wrong potter. That's pretty heady stuff. That's weighty for them. That's man oh man, you know? <laughs> That's a it's a it's a big it's a big thing to ask, and Harry didn't even ask it. Harry didn't even know about it. Do you think if Harry would have been involved in that decision, he would have allowed them to do that? No. I don't think he would have been too cool with it. He didn't even want them to come along on the mission. And now you've got Ron and Hermione and everyone else he knows. Every Literally every person in his life who was important, except for maybe McGonagall, is... Or is she there? I don't think she's there. She's not. No. Every one of those people... That's, uh, that's alive. <laughs> is, that's alive is is potentially going to die tonight, so Harry can be safe. So, it's going to be a weird night. Uh, certainly there's going to be some consequences. Uh, Tonks announces to... I think Hermione, that she is now married. She shows the ring. And Hermione's like, you're married? They're trying to inject a tiny amount of happiness into what's likely to be a very difficult, if not terrifying night, right? (laughs) Yeah. Moody busts in and he's like, all right, all right, shut up. Lay out. Here's the plan. (laughs) Take your polyjuice potion. You're going to be a potter. You're going to fly on a broom. You're going to blah, blah, blah. (laughs) If the Death Eaters come. You're going to be with him. There's a, I can't remember what he says. He says something about when the fighting starts, what to do. I don't think he says anything about that. I I feel like he gives instructions about keeping Harry safe at at all costs, but that might just be a line from the movie that I'm remembering. So anywho, Harry is going to fly with Hagrid on the motorcycle which is sort of fitting. Hagrid delivered Harry to the Dursleys on the motorcycle. Yeah. Hagrid will shepherd Harry away from childhood on the motorcycle. Harry showed up at that little island hut 
to tell Harry he was a wizard on the motorcycle. This is a theme in Harry's life. The biggest transitions in his life seem to happen with Hagrid and the motorcycle. So him, Hedwig, Hagrid, they're going to be together. Everyone else is on a broom, doubled up, hoping, I guess, that if a Death Eater sees an Auror or an Order member with a Harry Potter, that they'll just start firing again. They're just targets at this point. So Yeah. It's pretty scary. The seven Potters, each with a different escort, gets on their brooms, thestrals, or motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And at Moody's signal, they fly off. We're at, essentially at the beginning of this book and are about to enter one of the biggest battle scenes in the whole Harry Potter universe so far. Harry and Hagrid take off on that motorcycle and they immediately encounter who? Death Eaters. They're there. Like almost instantly. Like they're just outside the door waiting, right? <laughs> they obviously knew the location. They obviously knew the plan. Right off the bat, we have a terrible loss. Who do we lose in this battle? Hedwig. How do we lose Hedwig? There's some Avadas without cadavras, and one Death Eater manages to get the full spell. He tries to hit either Harry or Hagrid, whichever, because if he has Hagrid, then he won't be able to fly and stuff. Uh, But instead, he moves out of the way, but Hedwig is right behind him, so it hits Hedwig instead. I also feel like perhaps Hedwig was just protecting Harry. I think maybe Hedwig... Was Hedwig in the cage or flying? In the cage. Okay. In the see, this is the thing where I'm in. The, I'm confusing the movie again. In the movie, she's flying, and that is how they know which Harry is real, because he's the only one with an owl, and they're like, "Oh, the one with the owl." And I'm thinking that's dumb. And then I remember it's not in the book, so it's it, it's less dumb in the book. Yeah, in the book, they all have stuffed owls. Explain this to me. The notes that I'm reading here say Harry exchanges spells with Death Eaters, but when he attempts to disarm Stan Shunpike, they realize who he is. Is Shunpike under an Imperius curse? We don't know. But he's there? Yeah. And he's fighting Harry Potter? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Perhaps he is there to lure out Harry Potter. Like, maybe they're thinking, since Stan Shunpike is not a bad guy, perhaps we have him under the Imperius curse. Harry might try and get him out of the fight, maybe? Mm. I feel like I don't know what's going on here. I've, I've fully forgotten... Uh, but that 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 is how they know which Harry is real, which makes me think Shunpike was bait. Voldemort himself shows up, and what method of transportation is Voldemort using? Is he just like flying in smoke? Yes, he apparently requires no broom, requires no thestral. He can just turn into smoke, zoom through the air. Now. So can the Death Eaters in the movies. Only in the movies, and that's the thing. I think they saw that effect in the book and thought it would be cool, and they allow basically all of the Death Eaters to do it in the movies. They can't do it in the books. And I think it's important to show that Voldemort has powers that no one else has. It shows how different he is, right? It shows that he has much power now. Well, and that perhaps he always has, but that he that he knows spells no one else knows. And I think it also implies we know to what lengths he will go for certain magic. For instance, killing people. Mm -hmm. 
We know that without a thought, he cut off Wormtail's arm to do his resurrection spell, or that he had Wormtail cut off his arm to do his resurrection spell. We know that no cost is too much. So perhaps the personal flight without a broom spell is something other people know about but don't want to do. Like, Maybe it's dark, dark magic. He he would probably do this unless he just wanted a bunch, a bunch of servants. But if he doesn't, he could literally, or he would, he would literally chop off everyone in the world's head. <laughs> well, then he wouldn't have anybody to rule. I don't think he wants to be alone. I think he wants to be powerful, and you can't be powerful if you're alone. Hmm. I guess that's true. So Voldemort shows up, and he's about to fire at Harry. What happens with Harry's wand at that point? I don't know. Does it snap in two? No. It fires at Voldemort by itself Oh, as if with a mind of its own. And then Harry and the motorcycle crash to the ground. Harry sees it coming. There's no way to stop it. Yeah, apparently Hagrid like lost control of it. I think it also involves like this motorcycle won't fly unless someone's driving it, and Hagrid, I believe, is unconscious at this point. Oh. Motorcycle crashes to the ground. This is um not looking good, right, for Harry. Yeah, he can't, when he gets to the ground and wakes up, he can't find Hagrid anywhere, and for some reason the Death Eaters aren't attacking him. The sidecar gets blown off of his, uh, what do you call motorcycle. it? Motorcycle. He, he, like, he tries to hold on to the side, but uh, he, he, like, his palms are sweaty, I guess, and he it loosens his grip. And I believe Hedwig is in the sidecar still, even though she's dead. Yeah. And I think Harry he, blows up the sidecar. I think he's using it as, as a weapon, like a bomb. I think he... Uh, just wanted to keep Hedwig as in, like... Or keep someone from getting her, you think? Yeah, me. The book know. says uh, he knew a dreadful, gut-wrenching pang for Hedwig as the car, sidecar exploded. So... Oh, right, right, right. So uh, Hedwig is still in the sidecar when it explodes. Right. So for whatever reason that he blew up the sidecar... It did not make him feel any better that he also had to set his owl on fire, basically. That's that's pretty terrible, just did, terrible stuff. He didn't have to. I mean, he could have taken her with him. I, I think he didn't have the choice at this point. Oh. And so either what you're saying to eliminate the body so they couldn't get it or to possibly use the exploding sidecar as a weapon, I'm not sure. But, yeah, that's it's pretty awful to have to do something like that. Uh, so anyway, Harry, Harry crashes... And it says Harry was going to crash and there was nothing he could do about it. He stared into the red eyes and was sure they would be the last thing he ever saw. Voldemort preparing to curse him once more. But he falls and then Voldemort just disappears. Yeah, they don't know why this plan didn't work, I guess. We'll we'll learn later, like in a few minutes. Chapter 5, Fallen Warrior. We know who that re- refers to now. I guess it's one of the first things that happens. The The members of the Order and the various fake potters start arriving where? To to all their like destination places, and then they use port keys to go to the Weasleys. Yeah, I think all the confusion happens at the Weasleys 
Um, like nobody knows where anybody is now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's like they they show up at Ted Tonks's. I know there is a brief exchange. No, they haven't gone to the Weasleys yet. Okay, so in chapter five, Harry wakes up from having passed out. And he tries to find he's, Hagrid. He's in the house of Andromeda and Ted Tonks. These are oh. Nymphadora Tonks's parents. Uh, where he learns that Hagrid is okay. He's just really injured. And they try to figure out how did the Death Eaters know that Harry was being moved? How do they seem to have known this whole plan? And how did they, how did Voldemort just disappear? But they do take a port key to the burrow. So that, so it was sort of a double destination, I guess. Perhaps, and I think this is what you're saying, the Tonks's was Harry's destination, but everyone else had a different destination with yes. a different port key? Yes. Okay. So then they all show up to the burrow via different port keys, I assume. Mm-hmm. Landing in the backyard of the burrow, Harry, Hagrid, uh, they find Mrs. Weasley and Ginny awaiting their arrival. I think... Uh Either George or Fred and somebody else are there already. He tells Harry tells them that about Voldemort and the Death Eaters knowing that they were doing all this. Molly runs off to get brandy for Hagrid, I guess, to make him feel better. Lupin and George arrive at the burrow. Right, they arrive now. And Harry at least see, Harry sees that George is hurt really bad. What's wrong with him? His ear has been blasted off. He's got no ear. Blood is flying out of his face. Uh, Harry and Lupin carry him into the house, and Molly is going to be the one to try and heal him through some magical means. But because of, I guess, this particular injury, he will not have an ear when this is done. Uh, but they, they possibly can stop him from you I know th- dying. I think eventually it's like just a giant black or and red scab, and then it's just skin. Yeah, it's just a hole, really. If you chop off somebody's ear, there's still a hole going into your head. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, oh. the thing you stick your finger in when you stick your finger in your ear, it's still there. I guess that means you can't really take a bath on that side, huh? No, it's the same hole you've got now. The same oh. way that you could get water in your ears, you can get water in your ear hole, that ear just, canal. That would just look weird. Your ear, the part that's on the outside, the only thing it does is focus sound waves coming at your head, it, down that hole the right way. So if you lose the outside part of your ear, you can still hear. There's not that well. D- probably pretty well, just oh. not as good as you could without it. But you do look different. And so when that happens to people like us in the actual muggle world, you might get like a prosthetic ear to replace the one that you lost. It might stick on with like magnets or something. Like it would be like a plastic clay ear or something. It would be like a silicone rubber that looks more like skin. They're yeah. very, they're way better now than they used to be. But anyway. Anyway, yes, we're off we're off track. But the point is, uh, in the wizard world, they're just going to let him have a hole in his head. I feel like they could at least do a glamour spell or something that would make him look whole again. But I don't, I don't believe they do that. Or maybe they could like... Make a spell where they could seal up the hole. Well, you don't want it sealed up because then you can't hear. You can hear on the other side. <laughs> no, you want to be able to hear in stereo. So anyway, uh, Lupin arrives and he grabs Harry and he is furious. What is he so riled up about? He wants to know if this is the real Harry. <laughs> How does he test whether or not you are the real Harry? 
He asks him a question about his personal life. I don't remember what it is. He says, I think he says, what was the first thing I taught you or what was... Right. What was the first thing I taught you when I was your teacher? And I think it was about like those little little goblin fairies. I think it was the Boggarts. Was the Boggarts the number one thing? I thought it was... Yeah, it was Boggarts. Yeah, something like that. The fairies you're thinking of are Lupin. And not Lupin. I'm talking about Lupin. Oh, no, I'm thinking of... I mean, Lockhart. I'm thinking of Lockhart. So he he wants to say, prove to me you're the real Harry Potter. He does the same thing to... All the other Kingsley Shacklebolt. And Kingsley wasn't a potter. He was escorting a potter. Oh. And what does he say to Kingsley? Do you remember? No. He says, what were the last words that Dumbledore said to both of us. Do you remember what those words were? No. He says something like, Harry was our best hope. You must trust him. So this is the part I was talking about earlier where Kingsley has put Harry's life over possibly more important people's lives because Dumbledore said he is our best hope. So let everyone else die. We got to keep Harry safe. Those were Dumbledore's instructions. Everyone believes Dumbledore. Everyone trusts Dumbledore. So Kingsley has decided Harry above all else because of those instructions. So Harry says, you know, he passes the test. Why is Lupin so sure that someone might not be who they say they are? Because of, uh, because the Death Eaters were everywhere, I guess. I'm not sure. It's because the Death Eaters knew something that no one knew besides Order members. Now, the interesting thing is, Harry did not know the plan. So Harry was like the least in the loop of the whole thing. I don't think Lupin thinks Harry is another person in disguise in Polyjuice Potion. I think he thinks Harry might be under the Imperious Curse. Oh, I, I could be wrong about that, but that's how I, I feel like that's what he's getting at. This this is one of my questions. If he tests all the other Harrys, how does he know which Harry is who turned into the Polyjuice Potion? The only way he knows is that he knows he's Remus Lupin. He's the one that decides to do the testing, but he's not testing himself, you know? I was wondering, like, how does... He know Hermione is this Harry and Ron is the, this Harry. It's all worn off by now. Oh. It didn't last. It, it, by the end of, okay. by the time they get where they're going, they're all back to who they're supposed to be. Okay. I believe. I, I got it. I now. don't think that's not true. So anyway, they also tells Harry that it was his Expelliarmus that gave him away, and he tells him not to let that become your signature move. What do you think that means? That means that. They they only knew that th- that that was the real Harry because he uses Expelliarmus a lot, yeah. and the other wizards in the group know that's not the thing to use right now. I think it means that Harry was using a more simple spell. simple spell, and they were using more explosive blow up shooting spells, right? Like they went immediately to a lot of cadavers. Uh, the Order did too? No, I meant the Death Eaters. Right, I'm saying I think the Order members were using 
oh. more advanced spells. And Harry was using, Harry didn't want to kill anyone. He wanted to, you know, expel Aramis. He just wanted to knock him out. Not, yeah, but it was still weird that it was Stan Shunpike. So he says George is going to be okay, but his ear has gone for good, possibly because of how he lost it. Hearing a noise in the yard, Harry and Lupin rush out and they find Kingsley and Hermione. They're safe. Kingsley verifies Lupin's identity. This sort of gets at what I was talking about earlier. Lupin was the one identifying everyone, but then Kingsley is the one that proves, well, how do we know you're Lupin, right? And that's where they say, what was the last thing Dumbledore said to us? Okay. Harry runs back to the burrow to help out with George. George is kind of, what kind of mood is he in? George, you mean? Uh, yeah, what kind of mood is, George is up and talking now, and what kind of mood's he in? I think he's trying to make jokes about his ear. Yeah, they're showing that his spirits are still high, even though he's horribly disfigured and injured and all sorts of bad things. But they're still wondering where are Tonks, Ron, Bill, Floor, Mad-Eye, and Mungdungus. So that's six people we still need. Yeah, we have three potters and three people that we don't know where they are. Uh, Harry runs to the backyard, just kind of pacing around, waiting for the others for what feels like for hours. Tonks and Ron finally show up. Everyone's relieved to see them. A Thestral shows up, and that's Bill and Floor. They're unhurt. But they've got two pieces of bad news. Number one is about Mundungus. What do they say about Mundungus? Either he died or he became evil. He disapparated the moment the Death Eater showed up. Okay. Leaving his potter unprotected. Who was that potter? I don't remember who was with Mundungus. Well, it had to be either Bill or Fleur. I know Fleur was a, a potter. I don't know if, I guess Bill was too. Where's Fred? I don't know yet. I guess he's already back. I don't know. Mundungus disapparated immediately, which, unless I'm remembering this incorrectly, sort of verifies that he was the one that sold them out, perhaps. Either that or he's just a coward. They they call him a coward. I don't know if they're already speculating that he's the one that sold them out, but I feel like that's the only opportunity, the only way to explain that. They've got even worse news about Mad-Eye. What's, what happened to Mad-Eye? He was the one that died. He was killed defending Harry. So everyone's pretty down at this point. They've got injuries and they've got a death. And possibly one of their strongest soldiers. And this time it was the real Mad-Eye. <laughs> yeah. That's also something that always bothers me is that Harry strikes up this friendship with Mad-Eye all throughout that year. Come to find out, Harry's never met Mad-Eye. Then Harry meets the real Mad-Eye, and the only day he sees them, as far as we know, is the day he dies. <laughs> so Harry's only ever been around Mad-Eye for like, like an twice. hour. Yeah, like an hour or two, maybe. And then he's dead. So Harry doesn't ever actually know the real Mad-Eye. And if he's going to mourn him at all, he's going to mourn him for his friends or for the fact that he tried to save him. He Like, he knows that he's kind of gruff and that he has a magical eye, and that's kind of it. Yeah. The room, temp, you know, is tense because of all this sadness. Lupin wonders where Mundungus Fletcher is, and then the group wonders how Voldemort knew Harry was being moved. Lupin and Bill go on a mission. Do you remember what they're going to go find? 
No. They're going to go retrieve Mad-Eye's body. Oh, so they can have like a little death ceremony. Perhaps just to give him a proper burial. Also, perhaps to stop Voldemort from doing it. I don't know what Voldemort would do with it. but Like uh, make it in Fury? Maybe. God, that'd be terrible. Harry, Harry wants to go, but they're like, hey, man, no way. He also tries to explain that his wand is acting with a mind of its own, but no one believes him. He says that you just must have been thinking a spell in your head and it, it, pop, it popped out. Yeah, but the wand shot at something he didn't even see. So Harry knows that's not true. His scar begins to sear with pain. Harry goes into the backyard and he watches. He has a vision. Do you remember what his vision is? Is it the blue? Is it the blue flash again? No, he is seeing something through Voldemort's eyes. What? Do you remember who he sees? Someone's being tortured. We know that uh, that Charity is already dead. It's Ollivander. Voldemort has Ollivander, the wand maker, and he's torturing him for information about something. And then he passes out. And when he wakes up, Ron and Hermione are like, hey, maybe don't let Voldemort take control of your brain, buddy. (laughs) Now they know that Voldemort needs something that perhaps Ollivander knows the whereabouts of. I don't think the vision was clear enough for Harry to have more detail than that. Like to actually make it out or something. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how that works. But chapter... Six, the ghoul in pajamas. They also spell pajamas differently than us. They do? They spell it P-Y-J-A-M-A-S, and at least I spell it with it P-A. I'm not sure if that's an American versus a British spelling. But anyway, the ghoul in pajamas, chapter six. Ron and Harry are at breakfast. They're talking about uh, how they have to leave, how they have to stay at the burrow before they can hunt horcruxes. They have to stay... One extra, they have to stay one day longer than Harry wants to because of the wedding. And also, Mrs. Weasley seems to have different plans. Do you remember what her deal is? She's making everybody prepare for the wedding. She's giving them so many chores that keep them separate. She thinks, Ron thinks, that she thinks that if they can't get together, they can't make their plans. Right? I guess she does know now that they're not going to Hogwarts. Yeah, she's got to, right? Uh, I feel like that that has to have come up by now. I, f- I feel like she has to know where her kid is going for half the year. Well, not necessarily. She she's It mentions that she wants to know what they're all up to, but that she also seems to think they're up to no good, and that's why she's trying to keep them apart. Uh, Mrs. Weasley eventually pulls Harry aside and demands to know where they're planning to go rather than returning to Hogwarts. Harry won't tell her. Like, I'm almost an adult. I don't have to tell you. (laughs) I think it's better that she not know because then she can't be tortured for information, right? Yeah. Leading up to the wedding, uh, Mrs. Weasley, this is the part where she, she knows they're not going to Hogwarts, and this is the part where she won't let them be together because she thinks maybe she can stop them from working on their plans, or maybe she's just trying to delay the inevitable. I think eventually they, like, sneak out of their chores and get into Ron's room. Yeah, and they also mentioned that uh, Harry does accidentally let slip, I think, with Ginny, 
that they're plotting to kill Voldemort through through the destruction and, of Horcruxes. Yeah. I don't know at this point if Harry thinks destroying all Horcruxes kills Voldemort or if you destroy all Horcruxes and then you go kill Voldemort. <laughs> I don't know if he knows. Honestly, I feel like, and we're going to get into it in the next chapter or so, that Harry doesn't know much. He has a basic idea. You said that uh, that Harry told Ginny about uh, Voldemort and Horcrux stuff. I think so. Is this is this the point where Harry is in her room? Uh, we're getting there. Okay. So the order comes to the borough for dinner. They talk about Moody's death and how the ministry is keeping all this information under wraps. Harry has to wear a disguise for the wedding. What do they decide to do? Doesn't he have to wear like a wi- uh, Oh wait, doesn't he take uh, a polyjuice potion like one of the order members took hairs from a kid in a village or something and he's drinking that? He claims to be a uh, Barry Bar- Weasley. I thought it was Barney. Barney Weasley or something. Yeah, he's going to be a fake Weasley cousin. Because he's got red hair and stuff. Right after dinner, Molly sends Harry, Ron, and Hermione in different directions to do different jobs. Harry joins Arthur Weasley briefly uh, in a chicken coop where I believe he's seeing Arthur admits that he's got the motorcycle now because oh. he likes he likes enchanted muggle artifacts. I didn't know they got it back. Yeah, that's what they say. Huh. Harry sneaks... Back inside and up to Ron's bedroom where he and Ron and Hermione finally have a chance to talk about what they're going to do. Yeah, Hermione and Ron are already in his room. Hermione is sorting her books. For like what she needs and what she doesn't need on the trip. But Harry takes one last chance to try and change their minds about what? Going with him. He feels like, he's like, you guys have done enough. Seriously, we've already seen, especially... Now that we've seen Hedwig and Moody die. And almost Hagrid. It's likely one of you is not coming back, if not both. And uh, and and George almost got a hole through his head. Uh, luckily, it was just his ear. Yeah, so he knows the danger is all too real. Hermione says something like, Honestly, Harry, over the last few days, you should see that there's nothing that could have stopped us from coming with you better yet over the last few years you that, know what is you, what do you think she means by that she's saying if you haven't noticed harry we've been with you almost every single time you've been in danger not only that but she is saying look at what's happened to us over the last few years what we've been a part of it's not so much about you anymore It's that we're involved in this, too. We're involved in the fight for freedom of the wizarding world. I think that's what she's saying. There's three things that that this shows. Uh, Number one is that uh, Harry is going to be fighting... uh, Harry and his friends are going to be fighting Voldemort. uh, Number two is... Or he's going to be... uh, fighting with his friends uh, with Voldemort and all his cronies. And number three is that I don't think Harry has had much time to think about this, but 
his friends, most of them is being loyal to Harry. That's basically what they do throughout this entire book series. Yeah, and I think, I guess my point is, whether Hermione and Ron feel this on a conscious level or not, in being loyal to Harry, they are also being loyal to the greater good. That might be sep- that might be secondary for them, but the bottom line is everyone knows at this point that being on the side of Harry Potter is being against Voldemort, and being against Voldemort is definitely the right thing to do. Perhaps their loyalty to Harry transcends that, and they are they are really just doing it for him. But I feel like at least Hermione is logical enough to know that even if Harry dies, she'd have to keep going and at least try herself because they know what's at stake. You know, they know that the world could end if they don't succeed or the world could be a place that no one wants to live in if Voldemort takes over. Their loyalty might be the driving force behind all of that, though. They talk about how they're going to explain their absence. Obviously, no one's looking for Harry. (laughs) He's got no family to go back to. How are they going to keep people from wondering where Ron is, at least for a little while? Uh, Hence the chapter title, The Ghoul in Pajamas. Oh, right. They're going to pretend that Ron is really sick. And And they have a ghoul that they're going to make look like Ron. Yeah, the the ghoul that lives up in the attic and bangs on the pipes all day. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to dress him up in Ron's pajamas. And uh, since he's green, they're going to make him look like he's really, really sick. I bet this plan's not going to work so great, but maybe it'll at least buy them a day. They're going to at least try. How has Hermione taken care of her parents? She had to put a spell on them to make them forget her, didn't they? Yeah, she made them think they were different people. The Wilkins family, and she sent them to Australia. And she made them forget that they even had a daughter. Correct. Which must be incredibly depressing for her. That's really sad. I mean, seriously. Knowing that they're safe is probably comforting. Knowing that they don't even remember their lives with her or that she exists is probably the worst feeling she's ever had. Probably one of the most depressing things she'd have, she's ever experienced ever. Certainly. And her plan is that if she's even able to find them, if they even survive when this is all over, that she would be able to restore their memories. She's going to try if, like if like if you said she's she survives and so do her parents. At, during their meeting, Mrs. Weasley storms in and she's like, "Break it up, break it up." Go do wedding stuff in different rooms. <laughs> Stop talking. Stop making plans. <laughs> the Delacours arrive, Floor's family, and they are impressed by the newly cleaned up burrow. They might have feared that if we don't clean this place up, the Delacours are going to, you know, think badly of us. The wedding the wedding's approaching. The burrow is full of more people than it can hold. Harry, Ron, and Hermione are still unable to properly plan for their journey. Hermione has something of great use to them. Do you remember the special books that she got? No. She snuck into Dumbledore's office, which might be the most restricted, restricted section there is, and found books about destroying Horcruxes. 
possibly books that Dumbledore had been finding in his own search to destroy Horcruxes. Or maybe he found them in the school library and then just took them away. Right. What I'm saying is he needed that information for his own uh, journey. And now that he's dead, they were just sitting around, so Hermione stole them. And if anyone needs them, it's these guys. So they've got a little bit more information, but they don't know where they are or what they look like. And they don't even necessarily know that there were seven. That's just a piece of, what's his name, uh, Slughorn's memory. Maybe he never got a chance to make all seven. Maybe he made ten, you know? Well, they said that the highest magical number is seven, so it's kind of impossible for him to make ten. I don't know if that applies to Horcruxes, but sure. So imagine thinking, all right, we got to find, what is it, five, four more things. Yeah, four. They could be anything, in, anywhere. In the world. It could be a pebble on a mountain. It could be... A spoon in somebody's drawer in Tennessee. It could be... <laughs> it could be a bottle it, of nail polish it, in Kansas. Yes, it could be all items anywhere in the world. Now, it is likely that they are items that are of special, to, to, special to Voldemort, at least. So they can start their search by saying, what are some things he liked? <laughs> They certainly know the trend, right? They know that it was a diary. They know that it was his mother's ring. So they're like, okay, these are these are personal items. And a locket. And a locket that was also from his family. So, so far, they are all involving his family and himself. So it's probably not nail polish in Kansas, mm-hmm. unless he left it there and it was his favorite color. But it's <laughs> it's... Still, like it's just mind-boggling that you'd have to think of all items anyone ever cared about and and then find a way to destroy them. Anyway, uh, so after the Del- Delacours show up, the wedding's approaching. Molly remembers that Harry's birthday is happening like today or tomorrow or whatever as well. This leaves him feel guilty. Why do you think he feels guilty? Because th- this is what I believe... Because everybody, especially her, has already done so much for the wedding. She, he, I mean, he feel, Harry feels like none of them should have to do any more work. Yeah, that's exactly right. He, people have died, and there's a wedding, and he's already a burden. Everyone's life is already in uproar, because just because they know him. Had he not been a Gryffindor, none of these people would be in danger had he not sat down at the table with ron and hermione had they not become friends had had he had he not said a word to them and had he not asked the hat for anything but slytherin yeah i mean they probably don't feel this way but he feels like his existence is a burden on their life even if it's not his fault he's still the source of it and that makes him feel bad chapter seven the will of Albus Dumbledore. Ron, Ron awakens Harry from a dream, and again, he's seeing into Voldemort's mind. He's searching for someone. Do you remember who he's searching for? No. It's a wizard named Grigorovich. So he, he knows that Voldemort can't find Grigorovich, whoever they are. They can't figure out who this person is. 
but instead they wanted to have a brief celebration for Harry's birthday. Yeah. Do they get a cake? I don't remember. I have absolutely no idea. I know that Ron gives Harry a book about how to charm witches, like how to meet ladies. (laughs) But doesn't Ron already know that Harry and Germany, Germany, that Harry and Ginny are already sort of an item? Uh, He should, but I think he, well, I have two thoughts on this. Sure. He thinks that maybe now, since they're like going everywhere, maybe ever everywhere in the entire world, uh, that he's not going to be able to see Ginny anymore. Uh-huh. My second thought is that's not really helpful anymore because they're traveling all over the world. That's also kind of what Harry said to Ginny, too. When she says something like, you're about to say something about being self-sacrificing and brave, right? You're, you're going to say something noble yeah, about why yeah, yeah. we can't be together. Yeah, so they're not acknowledging that they are dating, but they are still very affectionate for each other. And I think both of them wishes things were different and that they could be together. At breakfast, Harry gets his birthday gifts. He gets a sneakoscope. What's a sneakoscope? Is a sneakoscope the thing... That, like, fires up whenever somebody dangerous is around you? I think it's when somebody... It's not when somebody's lying, but it's when somebody's doing something deceitful or... Something yes, it's like something. That. It's to allow you to know that you are possibly not in the... Out this of place. danger. Sure. Uh, he gets a new razor, which is a very grown-up gift. <laughs> he gets chocolates from... Uh, so, and he gets some Weasley's Wizard Weezes merchandise. I wonder who could have given him that. <laughs> He also gets a watch from Mrs. Weasley that he really, really likes. Can you think of why Harry would be appreciative of a nice present from an older woman who loves him? What do you think it makes him feel like? Don't know. I think it makes him feel like he has a mom. A little bit. Also, a watch is a is a more grown-up present. Really? And so... A nice watch, yes. An expensive watch, perhaps. Especially coming from a family that doesn't have a lot of money. Now, they say here that they got Ron one for his birthday, too. And it was the same one, but his was new. Harry's is used. That's interesting. I wonder if Harry's is a hand-me-down and Ron got a brand new one, but maybe Harry's has sentimental value. I wonder if that's explained in the books. Anyway, the bottom line is Molly has always included Harry in the gifts that she gives to her children. You know that she views him as one of her children. She gives Ron a sweater. She gives Harry a sweater. She gives Ron a scarf. She gives Harry a scarf. You know, like it, uh, She also knows that no one else is doing this for him so that she has to step up. She has nine kids, so if she gives... Every one of her kids a present for Christmas, uh, including Harry. That's like ten. That's like ten gifts. Nine. Yeah. So, uh, Ginny, Ron, Fred, George, Percy, Bill, Charlie. Oh, I was thinking of nine. Count those again. I was thinking of nine Weasleys. I was yeah. I was thinking of nine people in the house. She has seven (laughs) kids, which is still a ton. Still more than. Good Lord, more than anyone could ever handle. So she she would actually buy nine presents, including Mister Weasley, ten including Harry. That's that's kind of what I was getting at. Is that she has included included him in the family gift giving, 
And a nice watch is a grown-up gift, and it's kind of like his only mother figure saying, you know, you've grown up, and I acknowledge that or something, you know? So I feel like you're one of my many, many kids. <laughs> now all of whom other than Jenny are adults? Yes. So Jenny couldn't have been a potter because she's not an adult? I guess. Well, Harry's not an adult either, technically. I, yeah, I don't remember how that... Okay, maybe Ginny was there. Anyway, <laughs> Harry heads upstairs with Ron and Hermione. He's interrupted by Ginny, who wants to give him a special present. What is... What's their exchange like? Uh, She leads him into her room, and we should mention this is the first time that Harry's ever seen the room. Oh, yeah. Of Ginny's. Uh, so they talk a little, uh, and then... Uh, Harry has already said that they're not going to be able to see each other when he's around the world. Uh, but they start kissing again. Uh-huh. Uh, Ron comes in and they're like, ah, uh, why are you in here? <laughs> so, uh, he gets Harry out of there and he's like, what, why'd you do that again? You're not supposed to get her hopes up. And do you remember what was special about this kiss? How it made Harry feel? No. Kind of made him forget everything that was going on that he has to save the world and that <laughs> people are dying and that this is probably about to be the worst year of his life, if not longer. That's like one of the nicest things that has happened to him in many, many months. Sure. And so he's very appreciative of that present, but I'm sure it also makes him feel bad that he can't just say, okay, fine. We're dating and our lives can be normal because they certainly can't. Out of range of Ginny's hearing, Ron turns to Harry and demands to know, what are you up to? Like you said, and Harry promises that he won't do it again. He probably wants that to be true on in one way, but definitely doesn't want it to be true. I think he for real. I think he also like says to Ron, Well, Ginny was the one who whooped me in there. Sure. Uh, the Order of the Phoenix has a little backyard birthday celebration for Harry at the borough. And there's decorations, and everyone's having a good time. Hagrid remembers Harry's 11th birthday and gives him a moleskin pouch as a birthday present. And the thing that's special about this one is that not only is it bigger on the inside, but... No one can get anything from it except for Harry. Oh, that's interesting. I don't remember that. Uh, he also, this is in my notes, and I don't remember why this is relevant, but he also learns that Norbert was a girl. Is that because they say that she's had babies or something? Yes. Or Okay, what was the deal with that? I don't remember when or why it's mentioned, but they just say that Norbert is a girl because she had babies. Maybe Charlie knows that because Charlie was taking care of her? Yeah, I guess. The dinner is interrupted by news that Rufus Scrimjaw, the new minister for magic, is going to be there soon. Like, L Lupin is traveling with him, Lupin and Tonks, and I guess, uh, or... I think they have to go meet him because they are there and they have to leave. It's either Lupin... That's right, Mr. Weasley is traveling with him, and... He sends his Patronus to warn them, and just before they arrive, 
Lupin and Tonks get out of there. This might also be the first time that we see that Patronuses can be used as long-distance communication. Like messages. And that might mean that that's a very advanced form of Patronus magic. It's it's sort of like texting, but in, like, voices. Right, but can't you imagine many, many, many times that if Harry and his friends were able to do that, they would have? Yeah. So seeing as how it's Rufus Scrimjaw that does it, and he's the Minister for Magic, and he's also quite old, perhaps this is a really advanced technique that even they don't learn, because they still don't do it, like, even from here on out. I feel like, and this again is the curiosity thing with Harry. I feel like he would go, wait a second, you can use Patronuses to send messages? Why has no one told me this? Every year of my life, I have needed to send crucial long-distance messages. You guys don't have phones, you don't have email, you don't text. Why did no one bring this up? Like Lupin, seriously. And how could I have learned it? But they they drop it, just like always. Um, And Harry just kind of goes on with his life. When Scrimjaw arrives with Arthur Weasley, he asks to meet with Harry, Ron, and Hermione in private. So they go inside the house. Uh Uh-huh. And they all sit, like, kind of crouch down on the couch next to each other. And uh, Scrimjaw sits in a separate chair. uh, And he brings out a piece of parchment. And this is Dumbledore's will. Yeah. And Scrimjaw begins to read the will. Basically, it seems to state... uh, Now, we don't know if this is the entire will. Maybe Dumbledore has left people, other people, items all over the world. But it just so happens that these three are together. So he kind of reads it. You know, I, Albus Dumbledore, being of sound mind and body, do bequeath to Harry Potter. That's Scrimjaw, not Dumbledore, obviously. Um, he's sort of a, you know, kind of a gruff, serious dude. Yeah. Uh, he, do you remember the the three gifts he gives? Or the four, actually? I remember a few of them. What does he leave to Ron? Is is it Ron or Hermione that he gives the put-outer? The deluminator. Deluminator. He gives Ron the deluminator, and he's, he shows him what, you know, it kind of explains what it's for. It's an important distinction here that now it's called a deluminator, but in the first book, he says it's a put-outer. And doesn't he also say it's like a device of my own invention? Yes. He says something like, oh man, how does he describe the Deluminator? I can't remember if this is just in the movie, but like, you know, in the hopes that it will help you find light when you need it most. I don't remember what it is. But but it's something that alludes to how it will eventually be used. He gives Hermione a book. What book does he give Hermione? He gives the fin- he gives her the fantastic tales of Beetle the Bard. Yeah, the tales of Beetle the Bard, and she's like, "That's weird. This is a children's book." And both both Hermione and Harry don't know anything about it because they did not grow up wizard children. Yeah, because they were they they were in the Muggle world until they went to Hogwarts. Ron knows all about it. He's like, "What are you talking about? The hopping pot, babbity rabbity." Uh, Come on. You've, ne- you've never heard of... Bab- the, three, the three brothers? You've never heard of Babbity Rabbity and her cackling stump or something? Yeah, and they're like, no, what are you talking about? It's like, it's a kid's <laughs> book. So she's like, okay, thanks, I, I guess. guess. Yeah. And she kind of flips through it. And then Harry gets his gift. What is Harry given? Is it the Gryffindor sword? It's the snitched. The first oh. snitch 
It's the first snitch from he his ever first caught. game, the one that he caught in his mouth. And he's like, again, he's like, what? all right, why did he even save this? You know, first of all, why is this important? I would think that's maybe something Harry would have saved, but perhaps he didn't know that was an option, right? Yeah. Uh, Harry probably did not know that snitches can only be used once. Yeah, I guess. So every game has a new snitch. It's kind of like in baseball when the person who helped out the most gets the game ball. Yeah, I got that once. When you played softball, yeah. And so maybe Harry would get the snitch for being the one that caught it. I don't know, but... Uh, And also, his Dumbledore's will says he gives Harry... He wants to give Harry another thing... This is the Gryffindor. This is Godric Gryffindor's sword, but uh, Scrimdraw won't give it to him. Yeah, he says. Unfortunately, it was not his to give, and plus, it's gone missing. So it's like I wouldn't give it to you, but also I can't. I think he's making up the last part. Yeah, maybe he's hiding it. You don't know. So Harry is furious about this he's like hang on Gryffindor's sword kills horcruxes i can't say that in front of you because you don't know what we're doing <laughs> but that would definitely be helpful if we had it so give it to me right he, now he does it he's pretty furious about that and it angers scrimjaw who's like you he says you wear that scar like a crown on your head but you need to learn some respect you know, Scrimjaw's never been super fond of Harry, especially because he refuses to like, his, support the ministry. Yeah, his constant request to support the ministry. In Ron's room, oh, finally, Scrimjaw leaves, and they're wondering, why did he give us this stuff? What are we supposed to do with it? They're kind of looking at each other's gifts, and do you know what the inscription on the snitch is yet? No. Did the Has that come up at all? No. I don't want to say it if it hasn't come up at all. Just tell me, like, the main idea and I'll No, see. I won't tell you. Okay. The script, the snitch says something on it, written on it. I think we know about that, maybe. All right, I'm just going to say it. If it doesn't happen here, then it happens very quickly. Harry sort of picks up the snitch and looks at it, and it's inscribed on it. It says, I open at the close. Yes, we already know about okay, that. Okay, you know that. Does Harry know what that means? No. No idea. Three mystery gifts. I have no idea what's going on. Like, what am I supposed to close this in a box or what? Right. So the party's over. Hermione plans to meet Ron and Harry in their room after everyone goes to bed so they can, I believe this is where they're going like, to try and sneak out, plan their final sneak out. They still have to stay for the wedding. Uh, in Ron's room that night, Harry and Hermione are still wondering why they have these items. Ah, and Harry discovers the words, I open at the close, written on the snitch. Obviously, this wasn't there when he caught it. No, no which means it wasn't. Dumbledore added this later. Also, I believe I don't know if I'm just making this up in my brain, but for some reason, I remember that when he looks at the snitch again, the words are gone. Um, I don't remember that. That that may or may not be the case. I feel like they're still there. Not entirely sure about that. Chapter eight. The wedding. Obviously, we know which wedding, right? Yeah, Bill and Flores. Along with Ron, Fred, George, Harry, in disguise as Barney, uh, they escort guests into the wedding. 
they seat uh, a couple of Vilas. Obviously, those are on Floor's side. Tonks, Lupin, Hagrid, Xenophilius, and Luna Lovegood. That's her father. And uh, Auntie Muriel, who's always insulting everybody. That's Ron's Auntie Muriel, right? Mm, considering Harry doesn't have any other aunts on his mother's side, then I would guess that's a Ron's Auntie Muriel. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and to Ron's surprise, who else shows up at this wedding? An old, st- an old student non-friend of Ron's. Remember? No. A particular Triwizard champion. Is it Crumb? Well, considering Harry and Floor are already there and Cedric is dead, yes, it's Crumb. <laughs> Victor Crumb shows up, which is something they were not expecting. And then they seat themselves and the wedding begins. Arthur, Marley, and the Delacours are sort of seated at the head of the wedding, and Bill and Floor are involved in their sort of wizard life-bonding ceremony. And there's a magical shower of stars and balloons. That part of it isn't focused on. The, the ceremony itself is just kind of goes by. And then everyone is asked to stand. And they turn the wedding tent sort of thing into a reception. So instead of having everyone leave and go to a reception hall, the venue transforms around them. I guess when you call a wizard uh, wedding service, they bring a special tent that can double as a reception hall. And a party just sort of erupts around them, right? <laughs> remember that well that's what happens as the reception begins ron and hermione find a table with luna and luna says uh like oh hello harry and he's like uh my name's barney Mm. i don't remember why she knows or why she recognizes him i think it's i think it's because xenophilius saw him drinking the apologies potion or something oh okay i don't i don't remember if that's even covered but They sort of get up and begin dancing. Ron quickly asks Hermione to dance. And she's like, sure thing. (laughs) They get up and run off. And then Crumb sits down with Harry. Do you remember what Crumb is angry about? Two things, actually. No, I don't remember. Number one, he's very upset that Xenophilius Lovegood is wearing the symbol of Grindelwald. Oh, is is this like the Deathly Hallow symbol or something? We don't know that yet. But he says it's Grindelwald's symbol. And Harry remembers that Grigorovich is the wand maker who made Crumb's wand. This confuses Crumb. He's like, why are you talking about Grigorovich? I'm talking about Grindelwald. Why do we know the name Grindelwald? I don't remember this either. On the back of... Dumbledore's Chocolate Frogs card, it says he defeated the evil wizard Grindelwald in one of the greatest wizard duels of all time. Oh. That's the only thing we know. We know that Grindelwald was a bad guy and that apparently Dumbledore killed him. According to Crumb, Xenophilius Lovegood is wearing Grindelwald's symbol, but we don't know what that means. I think I know what it is already because I've just seen it before. I'm sure you have. So he also is mad about something else. He says, all the pretty girls are taken. (laughs) Why is it ironic that Crumb is sitting at a table alone at a dance while while Ron and Hermione are off dancing together? 
Because he wants to dance with Hermione because he likes her, obviously. But what specifically is strange about that situation? Has anything like that happened in the past? Mm. What was the circumstance at the Yule Ball? He was the one dancing with Hermione. And Ron was the one sitting sad at the table because he couldn't be with who he wanted to be with. So it shows how things have changed in just a few years. And it's still Harry again. And Harry's still alone. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. Harry's still there to be like a shoulder to cry on, I suppose. Uh, though at the sa- though at the time of the Yule Ball, Harry wanted to be with somebody that was already taken, and he couldn't. This year, he wants to be with somebody who isn't taken, and also wants to be with him. And his life is just too confusing to make sense of that. So it's different for him, but it's 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 a reversal of circumstance, a reversal of fortune for Ron and Crumb at this point. Harry wanders through the wedding and finally sits down next to Alphias Doge or Doge or Dodge and begins discussing Dumbledore. He says something like, you know, I read your obituary. It was very nice. And Alphias is is sort of waxing nostalgic about Dumbledore. He's a great man. I know so many great stories about him, blah, blah, blah. Then they're joined by Auntie Muriel. What is Auntie Muriel's opinion of Dumbledore? I know she... Always has something bad to say about everybody, so I don't... She, she's got terrible things to say about Dumbledore, terrible things to say about his suspected squib of a sister, Ariana. His horrible fight with his brother Aberforth at Ariana's funeral that just made a huge commotion and, and a scandal. And Harry, again, is wondering, I want to be mad at her, but is she right? I don't know if any of this is true. I don't know anything about Dumbledore pre my life at Hogwarts. So I think he's mad at her for saying negative things about Dumbledore, but she doesn't know if they're true or not. He doesn't know. Yeah. She could be right. I don't know these people. I don't, I don't, I don't like hearing it, but who knows? Harry is also uh, joined by Hermione and their conversation is cut off by a Patronus's arrival. What is it? I don't remember. You don't remember whose Patronus shows up to give them some alarming news? Whose was it earlier? Is it uh, is it Mr. Weasley's? No. Actually, before it was Scrimjaw. This time it's Shacklebolt. And it says, The Ministry has fallen. Scrimjaw is dead. They are coming. That's it. So... In one night, since last night when Scrimjaw was there. No, was it that morning? No, it was last night. Less than 24 hours ago, Scrimjaw was sitting in the Weasleys' living room, reading Dumbledore's will, and giving them their bequeathments. And now he's dead. Not only is he dead, the whole ministry has been taken over by Voldemort. In the last 24 hours. And... They are coming. What do you think that means? The Death Theaters are coming. To the borough. Yeah. And that's it. And everybody at the wedding is like, ah! Yeah, that's, well, that starts in the next chapter. So, really, we just end with the announcement that things are about to get terrible, which is as good of a place as any to end this episode. This is the beginning of... Of everything getting worse for everybody all the time. I've said that before, 
but it's more true now than ever. This is a very different Harry Potter book. It's actually, I could be wrong. I think maybe this the two movies they made from this book are my favorite of the movies just because of, not even because they're the best made. That would probably be either three, four, or six. But because they they get the most done, there's so much that happens in is the it, in the chapters to come. Is that because uh, do you like those better because it's two parts, so they get everything in? No, honestly, and you'll see this when we're done with the books. It's actually a little bit too long. Eh? They did not split it into two parts, so they could get everything in. They split it into two parts because the year that movie came, was being made. Uh, there was another movie franchise, another fantasy movie franchise for kids called Twilight, where they decided to split the last two movies, the last movie into two parts for financial reasons, like to try and get more money. And it worked really, really, really well. They thought the fans would be upset that they didn't get the whole story and they had to wait a year to see the next one. Uh, Turns out both of those movies made like $800 million. (laughs) So... Warner Brothers, the studio that produced the Harry Potter movies, was like, "Uh, let's do that too. <laughs> and in this case, it's not that one of the movies is completely unnecessary, but instead of two two-plus-hour movies, I think it would have been one really good maybe three-hour movie. There's some mm. fat that could be trimmed. I still find it a very satisfying end of the story. Uh, it's it's actually a really beautiful movie too. I mean, it's, it's shot beautifully it's when it's supposed to be scary it's scary when it's supposed to be eerie it's eerie and when it's supposed to be heartwarming it it fires on all cylinders so i'm really excited for you to eventually see that movie also we should mention that where is this would have been this and our story of going to wizarding world would have been the end of potter and daughter now we have sort of one more harry potter book to do because they are releasing the script for the stage play, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Oh, we're going to do that one, of too? Of course we are. And that'll be the only one that we could potentially do while we're reading it, while we're both reading it. Can we buy that script? I don't think it's out till June. Still, I want to buy it. Of course. Yes, Yay. obviously. Uh, I don't know what the reading process is going to be like, because it's not a book. It is the lines that actors would say and the stage direction. So it might say... I, I know what that would look like because I've been in a play before. Right. It would be like the play that you were in. It would say, Harry walks into the room. He paces around. He talks to Hermione. He says, you know, and then it would be his lines. So it'll be like a book, but it won't be a novel so much. But th- there, will be, there will probably be a lot less talk about what people are thinking because that's not really in a play. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it'll still be. I, I hope it'll be great, and and we'll record you know however many episodes it takes to get through that play, and I I'm very excited to find out because it it takes place in Harry's adult life with his children. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. You know, also, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh no! Well, anyway, so we're going to do that. We're going to do the Wizarding World recap episode. And then that'll probably be it, because I don't see us doing... Maybe we'll do a special one-off episode after we see Fantastical Beasts 
and where to find them. I was going to say. Is it not Magical Beasts? It's Fantastical Beasts? It's Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic and Beasts and where to find uh, them. And I was, uh, and you've said before that we might do like a question and answer episode. If we ever got any questions that we could answer, maybe. But I feel like that's not going to happen. So for Potter and Daughter. My name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. I encourage you to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. I know that it will help other people find it. If you enjoy it and you want other people to enjoy it as well, that's a pretty helpful way of doing that. If you really enjoy it, hey, check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash hijinksensue. Kick in a few bucks a month and it would help me continue to make podcasts, comics, videos, other creative projects as my full-time job. Uh, I do appreciate you listening. Lily, I appreciate you for doing this with me. (laughs) What do you think? Good episode? Probably pretty good episode. Great episode. Oh, we almost didn't reach our high five. (laughs) What? what? Oh, my God. What was that? (laughs) Why did you do that? What a weirdo. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. This book is so awesome.